The rest of us young at heart, right, no doubt, uh, if you would turn in your Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians. You haven't heard me say that in a while, have you? So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to look at uh, the remaining verses of this chapter. And this uh, brings to a close what Paul has been talking about regarding giving. He began in chapter 8, and, and he's going through 9, and we're going to conclude this up, right? And, and, and I'll, I'll do a short, Lord willing, short review. I know all the men in our study laugh at that, and, but I will do a short review, and I'll get your, 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 uh, your wheels turning in your mind here in a moment. But I do want to just, I want you to, to understand that Paul is, is full of thanksgiving to God. He's, he's excited about what's happening in the churches, he sees Jews and Gentiles working together. And even though this is, this is about a specific need, Paul sees the greater picture. He sees the faithfulness of God. He realizes that this is a ministry. There are, there are the enemies at work. All these things are happening. And yet there is this confession of Christ. There is the surpassing grace and greatness of God. There is this conviction, and Paul will we'll read it here in a moment, but we'll end with just this overwhelming idea of God giving us this indescribable gift. And all of this is in the context of giving. We see in giving the Lord's faithfulness from beginning to end, and I know many of you could say amen, right? We, we know God is faithful and as I was planning this sermon, I was thinking about uh, the faithfulness of God. And even though this sermon is about the benefits, it's, it's God's faithfulness. And when we are simply doing the simple things God asks us to do, he does great things. And God is a great God. But as I was planning this, I came across this quote from Hudson Taylor, a missionary. This was written in his journal, and he said this, our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that His children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect that He will send three million missionaries to China. But if He did, He would have ample means to sustain them all, depend on it. And he concluded by saying, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. As Paul is wrapping up this element of, of equality, understanding theologically that what you have is not just for you. It's for others who are in need. Paul doesn't want us to all become, right, equity, the, the lowest common denominator. He's not saying all the rich have to become poor and equal this thing out. He says, no, with what God has blessed you with. If a church, right, Christians, followers of Christ, understand their resources as such, and they step into them to realize that God has called you to the ministry, you're not left outside of that. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you're involved in God's work, and then we know that if we go about God's work God's way, we will see, right, is God, God never lacks supply. God will meet the needs. We will see the benefits of the grace 
of giving. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 15. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer, on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let me offer a brief prayer. Father, as we begin to look at this text this morning, I ask that your spirit would fill us afresh and anew, Lord, that we would have right eyes and right understanding that your spirit would instruct us and teach us that this would not simply be a means of growing in our understanding, but growing in our our holiness and our obedience. Uh, Lord, growing in our our confidence in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So Lord, I pray your blessing upon this. And uh, Lord, we commit it to you. And I ask that you get me out of the way that we would, Lord, by your spirit, receive what you have. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I've said a few times, I'm sure it's, hopefully it's sticking in your head, right? Our theology, our understanding of who God is affects how you live. It affects, right, every area of your life. It brings understanding to the purpose of life and the situations of life. And no doubt for Paul, our theology, right, helps us in our giving to understand our resources correctly. Paul, or excuse me, God doesn't just simply bless us and say, hey, man, that's outstanding, and set you on a, on a hill somewhere at the big castle and say, okay, that's it, it's all that there is. No, the Lord's blessings are not only for us, but God wants to move through us. We are the hands and feet of Christ. So Paul says, how you understand your theology of Christ, your understanding your resources, right, those who are saved, affects how you treat your wealth. God wants you to be wise and to be discerning. He wants you to, he understands that you, you have to work, you have to provide. He's not saying that you uh, become uh, poor, but he does expect that you have a heart of giving. That you're not owned or defined by your resources, but that you walk as a child of the king. Remember, it's the world that says he who has the most toys or stuff or whatever. I think it's toys. Isn't it the most toys wins. And then there's the other one, he who has the most toys still dies. Remember all those bumper stickers? That's just me. Maybe that's me. They're still floating around, right? So Paul is, he's not focused on saying those things. He's talking about a specific gift. And he, in the beginning of chapter 8, he's called on, right, the, the, the Macedonians and those who said, man, out of their poverty, uh, they have trusted God and they had a mind of God's grace. And, and even out of their poverty, they gave liberally, Paul says in the first couple of verses of chapter 8. 
Paul says, look, this is evidence, right, of what's going on. And, and so we need to be mindful of God's activity. Why has he blessed you? You too can be a blessing to others. And, and Paul's argument throughout this is to tell them, there are, hey, Gentiles come together because there might be a time where these Jews help you. We might need help from our brothers and sisters. So Paul's call to all of this and to us is to imitate this. Imitate what's going on in Macedonia. Imitate what's, what's happening in their hearts. Right? And so from verses 3 to 7 of chapter 8, he talks about this grace that empowers us. Right? It changes our thinking. It propels us to ministry. It, it orients our priorities. What's most important when you're standing at the end of your life before God is the thought, man, I wish I had more stuff. If you think that's going to run through your mind, I'm going to go with a no right on that one. We've got other things going on. <clears throat> so it challenges, God's grace challenges us to be gracious. I don't know if you remember, he, he touched on the, the, what's going on, the suffering of these churches. If you remember in Thessalonica, there were, there were mobs of people, we learned this from Acts, who would come together, right? There's, there's never a shortage of people who are just upset, right? And so it's very easy to get a mob together and it's, Right? They, they went and they go to a person named Jason who was, who was uh, being hospitable and allowing those who were coming and preaching the gospel to stay at his house. This mob shows up and, and says, bring them out. We're going to make a demonstration of them. And Jason says, they're not here. And he said, well, we got a mob together. We don't want to waste it. You will pay for it. Right? Acts 17 says, their accusation was these men upset the world. And here, Jason has welcomed these upsetters of the world. See, that's, that's where we live, right? That hits the home, doesn't it? We live in a world today where uh, Christianity is not a positive thing. It's not a neutral thing. It is a negative thing. So there's a deep parallel for us to understand that despite right, the situation of these churches and what they're suffering through, right, we need to be open and understanding and discerning what God wants us to do. We have a message, right? We too have a message. We too have a standard. We too have a book. God has called us. Christ has compelled us with his commission. I think the better word there is commanded, right? It's commanded us. So Paul says, all right, here's the giving, here's the illustrations, and, and he goes into verses 11 through 24, and he talks about uh, proportionate, <clears throat> excuse me, 11 through 15, proportionate giving, right? So he, he touches on uh, equality and not equity, right? Very popular word in our culture today. We want equity. That's a code word for we want to uh, have a ruling class. That's all that means, and we want to have those who are uh, subservient, that's all that equity will ever accomplish because we have this problem of sin. Only God can operate with equity. Only God can be completely fair. So Paul gives us the understanding of equality, that your resources right, are not just for you. There is this element of reciprocal giving. Right? When there's a need, there's a, a, a something that we come together as a church to meet. His expectation is proportioned to what you have, you would get. If everyone gives a little, the need might be met. He doesn't put it on one family. He puts it on the congregation. So that means there's a principle for us to trust that God will provide. If God has once given us the means, he will once again provide for us. We walk by faith. 
So then he goes in, and could you imagine those who said, okay, Paul, I understand this. We're going we're gonna, to, out of my, uh, the little I have left over, I'm going to give some to this, but I want to make sure it gets to where it needs to be. Paul anticipates these Corinthians most likely thinking that, but he also gives this wonderful instruction for those who handle money. But unfortunate today, I think it's such a, a bad, horrible thing that happens in the church when that is abused. Because what does the world think? Just like us, right? If money is abused, if it's uh, embezzled or some sort, something goes on. So Paul says, you need to put a right person in place. Someone that has a desire to serve in this way, which doesn't mean they're, they're money hungry, right? Might want to be an indicator. But someone who has a gospel passion, someone who has a burden for the glory of God, whose focus is upon the kingdom, kingdom growth. Right, he has a trustworthy reputation. He works with, he cooperates, he has that dis, a disposition full of grace. So Paul gives us that instruction, and then he comes into chapter 9, and he starts to encourage us. You're sitting on the fence, he encourages us. This is good for the church. It's good for the church so, so that we realize all my blessings and all that I have is from God. It's not from my own hands, even though I am the one who has gone and worked. He says, have a bigger, right, understanding and a greater theology. Don't sit back and say like every was typical of most Americans, I earned it, it's mine. I made it my way, right? They sing this song by Sinatra, I did it my way. It's good for us to say, no, all this is of the Lord. He has blessed me. It is by his grace. And I want to be encouraged, right, to, to give. And I want to encourage rightly. So I want to have a God-glorifying testimony. I, I want to see this, this money applied tactfully. I want to be discerning on how I give. I want to make sure it goes to the need. Because God has tasked you with your own resources. You're to be wise with those. And then Paul says uh, there is a difference between loving God and loving self as he brings us from verse 6 to 9. Right? It's acknowledging it's, it's all from God. God is the one who's given to us. We're going to see that theme again as he, con as he concludes this chapter. But God's grace, understanding it, frees us to give, empowers us to serve. That's a wonderful, wonderful testimony to others. We'll see that again. Paul, that is in Paul's mind. We are bought and purchased by the blood of Christ. I do not belong to myself. I belong to him. Yes, I need to be wise with my income. I can't give to everything, but the things I can, for God's glory, I can, I can give this. That's what the Lord is looking for. This is a one-time gift. Paul is not talking about the, the normal Sunday giving. He's talking about this, this need and this uh, Jerusalem, the Jerusalem churches. And so he's trying to motivate, right? Here it is, Corinthians. So what are the benefits? What is Paul hitting on as he closes this up? And my first point is simply this. God will increase the impact of your grace of giving. He says in verses 10 through 11, second first part of 11, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing Increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Now in verse, in verse 9, verse before this, 
Paul quoted, and probably in your Bibles you'll see it offset or in, in italics, he quoted from Psalm 112, verse 9. In verse 10, he is drawing from two other Old Testament passages. He's giving us this illustration. And so from Isaiah 55, 10, Paul is drawing from this idea. And, and this verse, you don't have to turn there, says this. For as the rain and snow came down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So Paul is simply saying God has provided, right? God gives us the rain. Some of us are like, he can hold off on that right now, right here. But he gives us the rain. We praise the Lord for that. And snow. And it's, it is a function of the Lord to come down and eventually germinate seed that we have growth. We'll have food. That's what Isaiah is saying. So Paul grabs that idea, right? Here's the, the seed and the sower, this illustration he's giving us. But he also borrows from Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. He speaks of this harvest of your righteousness. So Hosea says this, Sow with a view to righteousness. Reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. So Paul goes from this literal farmer mode, right, to this idea of, the, of our own ground, that we need to till our own ground and have a right heart. Hosea uh, is telling Israel, abandon evil, right? Have a heart of repentance. Uh, plant righteousness and reap, right, harvest the blessings, So this is Paul's concept. He is saying, look, after a time of drought, we are getting the seed and the farmers go to the field. They put the seed in the field and they're trusting God to bring the rain. So his point with this is all of it from really from the farmer's work is to say if if it germinates, if we get some growth, that's because God did something. But Paul is, is taking both these and gone a step further. Paul says God supplies the seed. He doesn't start with a farmer who has some seed and trusting for the rain. He starts with, yeah, that seed in your hand, that too is from God. We are dependent, his point, from beginning to end. There's no seed, there's no crop. Everything originates and is multiplied and is impacted by God. From beginning to end, it is all of God. And so Paul, grabbing both these things and bringing it into the physical sense, because clearly he's not talking about, hey, Corinthians, go plant some seed. He's talking about raising a collection and right, going to Jerusalem and, in essence, planting the seed there and you reaping a harvest of blessings. He's, God is going to impact all of this. And Paul says it's very personal. He says the harvest of your righteousness, your activity, you're serving, right? So the idea of righteousness is not simply sanctification or right living, right? Even though it includes that, it's the element of how you live your life. How you live and the impact you make and the response of what God does with that. 
I mean, think about times in your own life where you have given, you've helped someone. Maybe you've provided clothing for the poor. Maybe you've shown kindness to a person who's just been rotten to you. Someone that needed it. Maybe you were gracious and merciful. Think of all the times that you went that extra step. Paul is saying here, when, when, you, when you flourish in righteousness, when you live your life as a Christian, right? Oh, I know we have imperfect imperfections. The best that we can, God blesses your work. Proverbs 19, 17 says, One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. So what does the Lord do? Paul is simply saying, grabbing these verses, that God will take your investment, your works of righteousness, your collection. You take this, you're serving it. God is going to have it. He's going to make it a greater impact. See, I think with the Lord, when, when, and I'm sure you've experienced this with the Lord, uh, when we joyfully do these things, we see that God's hand is never closed. It brings understanding to when Paul says in verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because it's not about me getting credit. It's about a greater impact from those who start to turn their attention and praise the God, which is where Paul is going. We'll talk about the impact as it unfolds. But God is increasing, right? He is strengthening. He is growing, right? Others are believing. Why? Because we have sown an act of righteousness. Now, I think it's important to note that God doesn't always repay us, right? Financially. We may give. Prosperity gospel says, right, it's all built on you give, you receive great, greater gifts back to you, but that's not what Paul is saying at all. Actually, blessings of his presence, peace, relationships, other areas. Right? The point that Paul is making, right, is that God impacts this for his glory. This is where he's going in the passage. And he says, You will be right enriched, doesn't signify for our sake, but that we would have a greater desire to, to use our resources for God, that there would be a greater impact, that in return, as we minister this way, we will desire to do more of this ministry. Others, too, will be impacted by this. That's his point. He sets that tone. He says, look to the father, or to the farmer, excuse me, and then to the, the planting of righteousness. So we see it, right? God grabs it. You're giving. The benefit of your giving, of, of your resources, whether it's in a one-time gift or whether it's meeting with someone or paying for a meal or doing something, God takes that and he begins to impact it or increase the impact of it. Not only are you blessed, but those who receive it, and this is where Paul is going. From there, right? How does this, how does it work? How does this impact? How does it increase? Verse, the second part of verse 11 into 12, your grace of giving, I say, increases thanksgiving to God. Right? So this whole ministry of giving, says, which is through us, is producing something. It's producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So there is a practical sense, right, where we meet this need. But Paul says it's more than that. 
God is increasing it. Your impact of it is not just, hey, they now have food. Amen, that's a good thing. But now they have a heart that is strengthened, a heart that acknowledges thanksgiving to God. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you've, you've uh, walked with somebody, right, and their response to your prayers and your time and your resources is thanksgiving? I thank God for you. Have you ever had that moment? Well, Paul seems to think that moment is going to happen. We know what happens. See, every church is to be built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every believer, right, is to express their love for Christ and worship, right, following after him, words and, and explanation of the hope that it was, is within us. But there's also deeds, I'll be the hands and feet of Christ. I'll love others the way I can. Paul planted this church, the Corinthians, what? On the gospel of Jesus Christ. His expectation is not that they would only be those who say, yes, we love Jesus, but no, we don't want to give. Paul expects them to go, yeah, what we can, we're a part of this. That's his expectation. We'll see as this unfolds, he is looking forward to the response of the Jerusalem saints who are going to be worshiping and glorifying the Lord. And then we also realize that in this context, the Holy Spirit is stirring Paul to write about this collection. He has spent two chapters on this collection. That's a lot of ground, right, from the collection of a gift. It tells us a lot about our hearts pertaining to money, doesn't it? hit it from every angle. But here, when Paul is challenging the Corinthians, maybe stirring your heart today, he anticipates results. The need is not just meant, you know, we just didn't, just didn't meet the need. There is a thanksgiving to God. Have you ever had that thought where you're giving, you're helping someone, Right? When they know it's from Christ, you're ministering to other believers because that's our context here, where they too can turn around and give thanksgiving to God. Have you experienced that? Paul says the reason, right, the ministry of this service. What is the ministry? Well, it's the collection to these Christians in Jerusalem. What is the service? It's these Gentile churches coming together to build a collection to send it to Jerusalem. But Paul's point here, right, again, going back to equality, he's not asking certain families. A few of you have more resources, why don't you give a little bit? He's not. His point is that there is an overflowing expression of things to God. Every soul in Corinth, his, his desire is that everyone says, I have what I have. Here's, here's what I can give. Thanks be to God, I have something to give. He anticipates the response of the Jerusalem saints, that they are going to overflow with thanksgiving, because why? You're supplying the need physically, and their response is going to be praise to God, that you too are a part of this. And we see this bigger picture. It's more than just right coming together to meet a physical need. Now there is the acknowledgement of God's goodness in our own life. There's joy of thanksgiving that I'm in a position where the Lord is using me to bless others, to help others. 
the blessing of knowing it's not about me. Lord, be glorified. So Paul simply says, right, he uses those two verbs, supplying and overflowing. What is the supply? We meet the need physically. Hey, let's send these resources, right? Let's send it there. Let's establish some solidarity. This is what Christians do. Remember, it's brand new, right? Christianity is brand new to them. But the acknowledgement, the thanksgiving, right? The impact that God is increasing is thankfulness to God. See, this, this goes, Paul has this in his mind, and it goes to the next point, your grace of giving. Verse 13, uh, strengthens trust in God. He says in verse 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, right? Proof, action, followed up. It says, they will glorify God. Why? For your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. There's the focus. Here's the anchor. The Corinthians are the ones giving. The Jerusalem saints are receiving. The result is that they are trusting more in God. Have you ever had a moment where you've prayed for something and God met that need? What did it do to your faith? Paul anticipates this. But he roots it in what? He anchors the whole thing, this future trust in what? The eternal God and his salvation. It is the confession of Christ. They will glorify God, right? He's, he's looking to the future for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. See, I think Paul's simple point here is if, if you've trusted Jesus with your soul for salvation, you can trust him to meet your needs. And when we have these resources, we can give as an extension of his hands and his feet. I mean, think about it. He's dealing with a church that is going through a lot of divisions. There's a lot of uh, struggles and dysfunction. So what does Paul do in the act of giving and the praise and thanksgiving of God? He says, look, there is a testimony at hand here. There is a strengthening and resolve of those who are, who are really suffering. There's a confidence in that God will meet our needs. So to deal with this dysfunction, to bring them together, he says, look, stop looking at yourself. Start looking at the bigger picture. Realize who you are in it. You have a purpose. God has a plan through you. He has said this over and over in, in, in a sense, right? This is a challenge to every believer. In Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5, Paul says this, for sake of time, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. He says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one, person, on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. 
Paul is calling us, right, in this, in this act of giving, this act of ministering, what God is impacting in others is to say, hey, Christian, have a greater obedience to Christ. Our confession to the gospel of Jesus is more than just a simple profession. In our study on Saturday mornings, we have said this over and over as James with our men deal with this element of those who profess Christ but have a faith that is dead. Paul anticipates and says what? They're going to be strengthened because you have to have the mind of Christ because you love Christ and it's not just in word but it's in deed. And Paul says for the liberality, right? Your contribution the physical need is met. The response is those strengthening. The benefits of giving is that there are those who begin to believe who are strengthened in their faith. And of course, right, the bigger picture, I've hit on this a few times, it brings about unity. Verse 14. And while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you, because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Right? Your grace of giving causes unity in the church. Now, I, an identity marker of every Christian is prayer. Right? Jesus said, when you pray, not if. Right? When you pray, pray this way. It's a marker of who we are. We understand praying. And Paul says, here are these Jews. We're going to be praying for these Gentiles. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty crazy thought, isn't it? The unity that is happening. The, the Jews in Jerusalem are praying. They have a spiritual longing for their new brothers and sisters that they too have repented and believed on Jesus. They long for them, and it's only satisfied in prayer. And God is establishing unity in the church because of what? The surpassing grace of God. I mean, how is it, right, that these Jews are going through a hard time counting on Gentiles to, to bring up a collection? I mean, Paul uses grace as a noun, and he places the adjective surpassing in front of it. What does he mean? That all of this, all of God's people, all of God's children, regardless of the language they speak, the color of their skin, their economic status, it doesn't matter. They show solidarity. They come together. How does that happen? The grace of God. How is it that we are here this morning and we've come to believe Despite our background, things we have gone through, the grace of God, brothers and sisters. See, we too, what do we grab from this? We too should, should support and, and work with and show solidarity to our brothers and sisters in the faith. We should do all that we can, but unfortunately we have to be in today's day and age very careful. There's always a drive to some extent to compromise truth for the sake of unity. And this is what we cannot do. I know there are many who say, right, doctrine divides, but doctrine matters. When Jesus said, who do people say that I am? He is saying, right, doctrine matters. Can there be false Christs, false gospels, false teachers? Yes. This is why our prayer, right, as we think about 
being and growing in unity with God's church, other brothers and sisters, is about coming under, coming alongside those who, who right, are walking with the Lord. Not perfect churches by no means. Man. We, that would kick us out as well. But, but coming and working with those who have a love for Christ, not just the profession. Those are the ones, right? So we have to be discerning. Now, Paul, in the context, is dealing with what? He knows the Jerusalem church. He knows, of course, the Gentile church. He's planted it. He knows, right? Coming together, like-minded, we can do those things. But when unity is, is like this, when people can come together under the authority of Christ, under the authority of his word, all different backgrounds, all different situations, what ends up happening? Well, there's going to be an expression of worship, right? Paul says in the last verse here, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now imagine that. You might have seen that verse on a Christmas card through Christmas. Paul says nothing about the birth of Jesus, but clearly he has the gospel, he has Christ in mind. Here is Paul's expression. Paul thinks about all that he has written about, right? Understanding theologically, it all leads to worship for Paul. Doctrine leads him to praise God, to thank him for his truth. Paul never goes the other direction. He never says, hey, doctrine divides. Let's just toss this and that. He does the opposite. He digs harder into it and says, no, it's his truth. And when we understand what God has done, the conclusion of the matter is that God has extended surpassing grace, and it all is found in this indescribable gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The heart of giving is Christ. The heart of all our theology of these two chapters is Christ. The profession of thanksgiving and strengthening in the faith is Christ. Paul sees, right, our giving in this, this necessary act that those who are suffering can be uh, helped by those who are in the Corinthian church and other churches. He says it's all rooted in this one person who has stepped into history. He was born sinless. This person who lived the sinless life. The person who explained and demonstrated and showed us who the Father is. The one that went to the cross and suffered as a criminal, though he was innocent. The one that poured out his last breath, nailed to a cross when he died. The one who rose again, conquering the world. The one who has commissioned us to take this message because it is the power of God unto salvation for every soul that repents and believes. The same one who will who ascended into heaven and will one day come again. This is Paul's doxology. See, if we struggle with giving, with understanding our resources rightly, we may struggle, we may be struggling actually with the cross. This is not to guilt us. There's no guilt. Paul is writing none of that. And he sees the glorious results of what God is doing in these, in these souls. There are these Jews. I see it, right? Paul's writing in the future tense. Their faith is strengthened. 
They're giving thanksgiving. Why? Because of your confession. The surpassing grace of God. Because you too know this indescribable gift. There are Gentiles saying, yes, how do I support and love my brothers and sisters? There are racial barriers breaking down. The church is radically different than anything else on the planet. Free, slave, men, women, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile. They're all coming together. Paul roots all of this. The surpassing grace of God for this indescribable gift. The question for us becomes not, not if I should give, but Lord, thank you, right? Thanksgiving, I am able to, to extend to my brothers and sisters in a way that I'm serving, right? And being the hands and feet of Christ, and yet I'm just simply lending, as Proverbs says, to the Lord. Well, think about it. Today, on the Lord's Day, there are many congregations of God's brother, our brothers and sisters, His children coming together. And many of them are gathering in buildings such as this, or in homes, or schools, uh, different kinds of buildings. Some have to meet in forests, or caves, or hiding places. But today, there are many coming together and expressing their gratitude for this indescribable gift. They, too, have this doxology. Whether they hear the word of God through airways or the printed page or the spoken word, whether they're part of a church that has a verse written out and as soon as they read it and memorize it, they must destroy it because they don't want to get caught with it. These are our brothers and sisters assembling with this doxology. Here are the benefits of giving. What does Paul understand? The greater, bigger picture is that God is over all of it. He's not just over your soul. He is the one who puts seed in your hand. By his spirit, you go and you, and you plant righteousness. And he says, you know what? I will make your work as small and minor as it is. I will grow it. There will be other saints and will respond with thanksgiving. They will respond with praise. They will be strengthened in the faith simply because you said, Lord, as weak as I am, here's what I have. It's all from you. Use it as you see fit. I have received an indescribable gift. There's no comparison to what I have just given. I love John Knox, reformer to Scotland. I won't say this in a Scottish accent, but he says, a man with God is always in the majority. We're quick to, to, to simply step back. What does my little gift mean? I only contributed a little. It's all I had. Those moments come, we fail to realize what the Lord is doing. And your simple act of obedience. There are those who are growing in their faith. There are those who might come to know this indescribable gift. That Christ is willing to walk to the darkest parts. To the stinkiest gutters. Pull our souls out of the miry pit. Place our feet on the rock. That we too, like all our brothers and sisters around the globe, can say, I've got more than 10,000 reasons to sing. I know a grace that is amazing. There are not enough words to express it. What Christ has done for me. On our giving, Paul says, here it is. This is what God will do. Our acts of obedience, he will increase it. 
And we see the impact in the souls of our brothers and sisters, those you're ministering to, and even in our own hearts, there'll be thanksgiving. There'll be a trust, God. I've been praying. Your simple gift has met a need. There'll be causes of unity. Let us unify under the, the truth of Christ and his gospel. And let us, too, have the same doxology. Let us realize, like Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack his supply. We're going to close here by singing, Great is thy faithfulness. And I just encourage you to, in your own walk with the Lord, be reminded. Our heart, let's, let the truth of this passage stir your heart that we too would be those who are have an open hand like God because we realize the seed that's in my hand, he placed it there. The Lord knows your needs. He doesn't expect you to give beyond what you need, but out of your excess, let's find those who need help. And let's be those who do the work the Lord's way and with faith, trust him to supply because he's faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time you've given to us that we can assemble in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That your word today, Lord, we can enjoy it. We can digest it. I pray that the enemy would not take or this seed planted in our hearts from us. That this would not be something that just simply goes in one mind out the other, but it affect, Lord, our sanctification, our walk with you. That we would grow. Lord, we would be those who would grow with our strength in you, confidence in you, faith in you, that we would have a heart of thanksgiving regardless of the situation. Let us see, Lord, let us have eyes that see your goodness. If we're going through a difficulty, Lord, let us not be so prideful we wouldn't let others know that we Lord, might come around, support, and walk with. But Father, help us in, our, in, our, in this walk. To, to truly understand we're not defined by our resources. We are defined by this indescribable gift. It is our doxology. It is the surpassing grace that you've extended to us. And we'll let that be our motivator. Let that guide us. You are good. You are good all the time. You are faithful. In moments of conflict and difficulty, Lord, bring us to the place where we, like the psalmist said, I stopped thinking about myself and I cast my thoughts to the deeds and wonders of God. I was reminded that you are gracious. So Lord, let our thoughts be there. Walk us through difficulties. Let us stand with, to, together in unity because of Christ and for your glory. And we pray this. In the wonderful, powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.